Hello, and welcome to Bostonian Rap. My name is Rachel Meiselman. You are listening to me on WBCA LP 102.9 FM Boston. This is Boston's community radio station. As always, there are a number of things that I want to discuss, that I will discuss, that I will unpack. But before we jump on in, I am going to play that disclaimer, and then we're going to come right on back. See you in just a bit. The following commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to Boston Neighborhood Network, 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02119. To arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3241, or you can email radio at bnntv.org. Hello, and welcome back. After that quick disclaimer... So it's probably a really good thing that there are disclaimers, right? (laughs) With some of the things that come out of my mouth. Uh, So here we are. Uh, I've been talking pretty much nonstop. It's, It's been an ongoing commentary on the state of the Republican Party. And it's just, it just seems like there are a never ending uh, series of incidents, dust-ups, arguments, controversies. It's just, it's really, it's it's become, uh, the Massachusetts Republican Party, it's become a source of entertainment. And that's definitely not what we want. But that's what we have. So I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about some of the latest developments Uh, I'm also going to uh, talk about anti-Semitism. I've talked about that a lot as well. Uh, It shows no signs of the incidents, the number of incidents. uh, It shows shows no signs of decreasing. And and really, that's, that's alarming. That's very, very alarming. And I'm going to really kind of underline why I think that people, notwithstanding what they're saying and maybe some of what they're doing, um, why they ultimately are not taking it as seriously, anti-Semitism. They're not taking it as seriously as as they should. And then lastly, I would like to talk about independent thinking. Independent thinking. And that is something that really, uh, <laughs> it, it it merits whole books, uh, whole sections of libraries, <laughs> bookstores. It's, it's something that everyone, most people, I think, want to be considered. That is an independent thinker. They want others to think that they are capable of critical thinking. But that's really not what we have today. And it really, it's playing itself out in the worst way in the conversations that we have or that we don't have. And 
and what people write. I mean, basically just how people express themselves on a daily basis. So let's let's start with talking about the Republican Party. So I have to say that really the party is dead. The party is dead. Um, that's not to say that there cannot be a revival, that it cannot be resurrected, that it cannot flourish in the near future, in the relatively near future. But for the moment, the Republican Party is dead. It has become the party of Jim Lyons, who is the chair. And I've said this before. And I find it tremendously frustrating that all the things that I was saying in 2020, people are just starting to say now. I do find it frustrating because what I went through, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. And, you know, I have to say it's it's one thing to, to go into politics and, and expect it to be or expect people to be upstanding, nice, loyal. You're not going to get that. I mean, there are some people in politics in the political arena who are good. Whether we're talking locally, um, you know, right here in Boston and and around Boston, if we're talking statewide or even nationwide or, you know, in some other country, (laughs) some other community abroad, you do find good people. It is possible. It is possible that there are going to be people in your corner, and that's where they're going to remain. They're going to have your back. But the reality is that's not often what you have that is loyal people, faithful people. And it's kind of ironic because... In the political arena, in politics, there's so much good that can be accomplished. But because you're dealing with different personalities and competing interests, you need people that you can rely on. I mean, it's not even just about trustworthiness, but people who are just dependable in so far as if they say they're going to be at a certain place at a certain time, they're going to be there. If they say they're going to do something, they're going to do it. That's really important because you need support to get accomplished what you, what you want. Because again, you, you're going up against different people. And let's just say for argument's sake that everyone was wonderful and everyone was nice you still have those competing interests. You still have different needs, different concerns. You go in one community, there are certain goals, and you go to another community that is not necessarily very far away. It could be a community two miles down the road, and they have completely different priorities. So that's what makes politics, um, I would say, uh, never dull. Interesting. This 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 constant friction, right? These 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 interests that are um, kind of knocking their heads up against each other. 
that's that's what makes it maybe even exciting. That creates a certain amount of um, dynamics, if you will. Fireworks. But politics is also a place where, because there's power involved and there's money involved, it unfortunately can bring out the worst in people. And, well, <laughs> in Massachusetts, uh, we're, we're seeing that. And, and I suppose that Massachusetts, at the end of the day, is not unique. But I'm focusing here tonight on Massachusetts because this is my home and this is where I'm living. And, you know, I'll continue to stress that we need to be a two-party state because that offers accountability. That offers a measure of transparency. We can't be controlled opposition. And I think that for a long time, that's what the Massachusetts Republican Party had been. It was really controlled opposition more than anything else. But now it's just become the party of Jim Lyons. And, you know, you have this, speaking of dynamics, you have uh, interesting dynamics arising because at the moment, you have a lot of people that want to be looked at as the good guys. And I I, got to say that... You know, there are some good guys, but there are also a lot of people that aren't so good, that aren't so nice. And so it it depends on what narrative you want to embrace. So routinely, the Massachusetts Republican Party, maybe because what else am I going to call it? I mean, I suppose I could call it the Jim Lyons Party, (laughs) uh, the Jim Lyons Social Club or the Jim Lyons Group, uh, members only. Um, but uh, for some, for purposes of simplicity, I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll continue to refer to it as the Massachusetts Republican Party. Although, as I said, it really no longer exists. It's it's pretty much defunct. The Massachusetts Republican Party is generally looked at as having two flanks. People don't even bother to get into nuance that doesn't interest them. Whether we're talking about members of the party themselves, um, the activists, the operatives, those who hold leadership positions, the media. So we have the Massachusetts Republican Party in its two flanks, and we have the conservatives and we have the moderates. And so the conservatives are run by, are led by, run was probably a more operative word by Jim Lyons. And then you have the moderates that uh, adhere uh, to the governing style, if you will, of Charlie Baker. And I got to tell you, after being involved in politics in one way or another, probably for the last... 16 years, and and I fully appreciate that there are people who have been involved a lot longer than I, and you know what? Great, wonderful. Uh, but that longevity, longer length of time, I should say, 
in comparison to the time, the amount of time, the length of time that I've been involved, doesn't discount, that cannot discount, or that in itself doesn't discount what I've observed and what I've learned. For a long time, the party has been content to be very much paralyzed by this narrative of being a party of two flanks, conservative and moderate. And so you have people who will, if you let them, go back and forth endlessly over what is the best course of action. In the interim, there are certain populations in certain parts of the Commonwealth that are left neglected. There are no Republican candidates. It's not a question of, and I've said this before, it's not a question of, well, there's no quality Republican candidate. No, there's no candidate, period. That's unacceptable. You can't have a party, and I don't, know how many times I can say it. I don't know how many shows that I can do in which I say this. You you can't have a political party, a viable political party that doesn't even bother with chunks of the Commonwealth, that doesn't even go into parts of the Commonwealth, that doesn't frequent certain populations. The Republican Party doesn't need an invitation to go into any area or to speak before any group, particular group of people any more than the Democratic Party does. But you would be forgiven if you thought otherwise after listening and being around some of the longtime Republican operatives and activists, activists, air quotes. It doesn't matter who's a moderate, who's a conservative. I happen to be a conservative, but I don't care if someone happens to be a moderate or even maybe a liberal. What's important is that there's an adherence, there's a recognition and an adherence to the principles, the guiding principles of the party that are mightier, more important, more significant than any one person in this party will ever be. Limited government, personal freedom, liberty, personal responsibility. These are some of the ideals that are particularly dear to Republicans. And I'm going to argue to Americans in general. You know, I think about all the conversations that I've had. I have spoken frequently with just different people from all walks of life. And I think there'd be a number of Republicans that would be amazed to hear, to know How many people, at the very least, are open to hearing what a Republican has to say? But if there's no outreach, if there are no conversations, then, I mean, how is the party going to grow? 
how are friendships going to be formed? How are associations going to be created, initiated? How are partnerships going to be built? So I get back to my point. If we're not going out and talking to people and showing that we're present, because even if we don't have a party, there are Republicans. But if we don't show that we're present, then does it really matter who's conservative, who's moderate, who's whatever? Of course it doesn't. Staying locked in that paralytic paradigm where you have this group and you either belong to one side, one faction, or the other, it's a crutch. It's an excuse. It's an excuse not to do anything. And it's also a way to keep the numbers small and so that the people who can make themselves a place, find themselves a place at the table, they can wield or come to wield a certain amount of power, status, et cetera, et cetera, which, of course, is very selfish. But, you know, it's politics. And like I said, it's a place where, you know, the political world where great things can get done. But it's also a place where the worst attributes of people can really be made to come to the surface and amplified. So I guess they're still doing a postmortem. Republicans in Massachusetts. What happened in November? I'll tell you. The candidates that were run were horrible. Now, maybe there was a good candidate here or there. There were some, actually. There were some. We had, we had, we did have some good candidates, but they were not the candidates that were being backed by Jim Lyons. The Jim Lyons team, I'll call them that, I'll refer to them that, were terrible. The statewide candidates that we had, oh my gosh, horrible. Absolutely horrible. Rayla Campbell, she needs to stop running for office. <laughs> it's 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 not you don't you don't run for office for attention for a job to make money running for office itself is not a job it is an undertaking which can be tremendously humbling <laughs> tremendously difficult, all-consuming. It's an undertaking that not quite frankly everyone is really capable of doing, whether they're ultimately successful in getting elected to office or not. Not everyone is capable of, of that undertaking and, and what it really entails to run for office. How much of yourself you have to give? 
it is something. And, and there, there are, I think, few experiences like it. You are made vulnerable. And you have to open up yourself to people. And that's not easy. You are putting yourself out there to be praised, but also criticized. Now, abuse, no one deserves that. And I would argue that even politicians whom I strongly dislike, abuse is is, is completely unacceptable. It should never be tolerated. But criticism, honest criticism particularly, it's unfortunately, it's it's part of it. I say unfortunately because it's human nature. Everyone wants to hear something positive, something good, right? No one wants to hear what he or she is doing wrong. But it's part of the job. But you have someone like Rayla Campbell, and she thinks that running for office is... <sighs> It's it's uh, maybe a job. It's uh, it's an opportunity for her, and it's it, it, it blows my mind that the Republican Party plummeted to such depths that. It considered someone like Campbell, someone of her caliber, to be a quality candidate. I mean, it's it's just no platform, no relevant experience for either of the positions that she's thus far run. It's enough. You have Jay McMahon, who at least was qualified for the job that he ran for. But he didn't run a campaign. He didn't run a campaign. And I spoke with one individual. I actually share this this anecdote on Twitter. I am on Twitter at Rachel Meiselman, R-A-C-H-E-L-M-I-S-E-L-M-A-M, written as the one word. And then I also have a Twitter account for Bostonian rap. So Bostonian rap, written as one word. So back to my little point, I, you know, shared this anecdote where I spoke to uh, an ally of, of, uh, among other people, Jeff Deal, um, Jim Lyons, but also, you know, ultimately Jay McMahon, at the very least by extension. And I said, you know, Jay McMahon has a really, really powerful story And I'm just stunned that he hasn't really brought it forth and really shared it with people and really kind of spoke to how it has shaped him and how it's acted, at least in part, as a catalyst in his decision to run for office. So I said something to that effect. And then... Very shortly thereafter, uh, Jay McMahon was drawing upon this 
personal, this very personal aspect uh, of his life, uh, shared a, something that was very personal, um, the death of his son due to uh, opiate addiction. And I, I thought that it was powerful because I think that it has shaped Jay McMahon, and I, I do think it has contributed to him wanting to serve, wanting to to hold public office and do something about the problem of addiction in general and drugs in general, um, but also because it's it's a problem that it has impacted so many different people that I just thought that he could really, with his story and with his professional background, I just thought that he he could have really had something to say about that. He could have really made himself stand out. And, and I think it could have lent his candidacy some gravitas. Instead, he just, he, he starts talking about it in earnest. I mean, he's spoken about it before. And of course, Jay McMahon ran for the attorney general, uh, you know, that seat in uh, 2018. Um, he, he spoke about it. He, he has spoken about it. But people, I think, have relatively short memories. And I think with something like this, it's not about capitalizing on a personal tragedy because I don't think that in this regard, Jay McMahon would ever allow himself to be so crass. I think it's about a personal tragedy and taking that and trying, trying to spare other people some of the pain that he has had. And that with this tragedy, it, it, it gave him a mission that, again, can help so many people around the Commonwealth and beyond. And so he only talked about it, though, in these last, like, literally, like, the last, like, what, four or five weeks of the campaign? I mean, you don't start campaigning four or five weeks before the general. But that's what Jim Lyons' candidates did. There was no pivot whatsoever because they hadn't run for the primary. Their attitude was, well, we don't have a primary. The path was cleared for all of Jay, uh, for all of, excuse me, uh, Jim Lyons' candidates, with the exception of Jeff Deal and Leah Cole Allen, uh, well, there were some others, too. Um, there were some uh, ha- uh, races for, um, you know, the the House, the Senate that were, um, you know, there were there was more than one candidate. But uh, the point is, is that it, there was no pivot. There was no there was no campaigning. There was no strategy. There should have been a strategy for the primary and then for the general. There was none of that. Uh, Donnie Palmer, another candidate, absolutely horrible. 
absolutely horrible. He has run for office three times now. He's run twice for the Boston City Council. He needs to stop running. He gets on the ballot and then he does nothing. And, you know, this 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 last go around, well, actually, his second run for the city council, he was, or people started seeing him uh, getting into fights, physical confrontations. And that also transpired with his, um, his run for his run, lots of air quotes there, for Congress. And that's that's unacceptable. And, you know, and I'm going to say that really, quite frankly, I find that incredibly racist. I mean, you have the Republican Party. And when you look at its legacy and what the how the why, how, why the Republican Party was formed. And what Republicans have done historically. The solidarity with black people. The fierce opposition to slavery. The party of Lincoln. And we, in all places to boot, here in Massachusetts, candidates, black candidates are being run and we're seeing them get into fistfights. We didn't see that with any of the white candidates. The Asian candidates. There was an Asian candidate. Uh, there was an Asian candidate or two. There were, you know, there were there were several candidates of color. And of course, there were, you know, white candidates. But the only candidates that were getting into fistfights, physical confrontations, or that have been, the black candidates, Rayla Campbell and Donnie Palmer. I'm sorry, but I find that racist. I do. Why are we encouraging black candidates to get into fights? That's embarrassing. That's shameful. That's despicable. And so Jim Lyons, I guess, I guess he feels like it's some kind of, well, you know, these candidates, they're the candidates that, you know, those liberals love to hate. It's like, no, they're getting into fights that they don't need to be getting into. That they've gone out of their way to get into. Now, some people might argue, well, how is Jim Lyons and, and his allies encouraging? You know, how do they encourage Rayla Campbell and Donnie Palmer to get into physical confrontations? Well, they didn't condemn them. And the Republican Party even posted Donnie Palmer's physical confrontation uh, in Somerville. So for those of you who are not close by, who are listening from far away, Somerville is a wonderful city. It's wonderful. It's awesome. I love it. It is not far from Boston. And so before the general, there was, uh, Ayanna Presley, who um, represents all of Somerville, uh, it's part of the Seventh Congressional District. She appeared in Somerville, and she was with uh, I think 
two, three members, one, two members of the squad. So she, you know, she was there. And Donnie Palmer showed up and there was a confrontation. Now, the confrontation didn't, it wasn't something that Donnie Palmer needed to be part of. It wasn't something that was aimed or directed toward him. Not at all. He just chose to get involved. And it was, it was just a sad, sorry affair for all the participants. And the GOP was spinning it as Johnny Palmer to the rescue. As, you know, hateful liberals are attacking strong black conservatives. And I said to myself, no. Donnie Palmer is once again getting into a physical confrontation, and it just makes him look bad and makes him look like he has no sense of self-control or decorum. Think of one job besides being a pro wrestler where getting into physical confrontations works is or is acceptable. You know, I also think about what was it? Maybe in two thousand. It was, in, I believe, in two thousand ten. Jeff Perry, great candidate, ran for Congress. He was down on the Cape. He ran for Congress, and he had a position paper on Israel. You fast forward to twenty 2020, twenty 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 two. You have Jim Lyon, Jim, uh, candidates of Jim Lyons making comments to me, disparaging comments, because I'm Jewish. And it's, I, I don't know what to say. You have to have quality candidates. You do. And, and what that means is that you have candidates that have a background and it doesn't have to be traditional, doesn't have to be orthodox, but it's a background that will ultimately enable them to do the office, the, you know, carry out the responsibilities of the office that they're seeking. They have to be able to articulate the issues and offer a solution. The Republican Party cannot just be party of no. We know what Republicans don't like. So what in the heck are Republicans, starting with Massachusetts Republicans, what in the heck are we going to do about it? We don't like this. We don't like that. Okay, so what's the alternative? We don't have any of that with Jim Lyons. We have a lot of dogma. And it's just, it's not working. Because there's only room for Jim Lyons at the end of the day. There's only room for what he believes and what he thinks. And so what we saw over the last few years under him, is you could call it a purge. And so right now, the party, it's, it's, not, it's not doing anything. It's not functioning. 
Nothing's getting done. Apparently, Jim Lyons is going around to the different Republican city and town uh, groups, associations, whatever you want to call them. And he's, I guess, doing a listening tour, I guess you could call it. Well, it's a busy time of the year. People don't necessarily have, it's an expensive time of the year too, so people don't necessarily have a lot uh, to spare in the way of time or money. So listening to Jim isn't going to cost them anything unless they're taking time off from work, and I don't know why they would do that. But in terms of time, which is ultimately our most precious resource, uh, they're losing that. So let me make it short and sweet. Let me make these meetings the need, uh, what is perceived as a need to have them. Let me let me erase that need. There were crappy candidates. There was no strategy, either pre-primary or post-primary. In general, there's no messaging. There's no coherent messaging. It's a party of one man and his ideas. And the reason why I've been insisting on what happened to me, and first of all, you know, I'm going to say that people don't want to hear necessarily what happened to me. And when I say people, some Republicans, not all, but some. And and that's because I remind them that, you know, they weren't so great either. Because you have a lot of Republicans now who who suddenly have the same issues with Jim Lyons that I do, but had no problem with them in 2020. Now, what I went through, I can't prevent. I mean, it's politics, right? <laughs> there are all kinds of machinations in politics at every level. It's, it's really, it's, it's, it's discouraging sometimes when you think about it. But I, I, so I can't prevent any kind of skullduggery. I can't prevent people from being nasty. You can't stop people from being nasty. Uh, unfortunately, there's just, you have a certain amount of those people. And unfortunately, you have a higher percentage, I think, uh, in politics uh, in comparison to other uh, arenas. I So I can't do necessarily anything about that. But what I can do is I can at least shed light on what were particularly egregious actions that took place in 2020. There were voter lists withheld from me. There was a company that was making electronic uh, websites to, um, excuse me, to collect uh, electronic signatures. And this was during the pandemic, the height of the pandemic, and there were, you know, candidates from both parties using this particular company for its services. I wasn't told about this company until the very last minute, so I got my website a week before signatures were due. 
I asked for help from the Republican Party. I asked for Jim Lyons to put a call out, an appeal to the party faithful to sign my papers. I was told, and I have an email to prove it, I was told that that was impossible because there was a primary. I wasn't the only candidate. They had recruited Rayla Campbell to run against me. Okay. Uh, So they couldn't intervene. And then they turned around and took the idea of, uh, of the chair making a personal appeal. And that's exactly what occurred, but it was only for the candidates that Jim Lyons handpicked or approved of. My campaign was never acknowledged by the Massachusetts Republican Party at no point. Media outlets were told, or at the very least not corrected, when Rayla Campbell was mentioned and referred to as the only candidate in the race, only Republican. None of that was supposed to happen. It's a very clear, incredibly flagrant violation of party bylaws. And nobody said anything because it was me and I didn't want to adhere to one flank or another. I wasn't wasn't with the conservative flank. I wasn't with the moderate flank. I just wanted to run. And I tried to run a quality campaign the best I could. So no one cared because of that. And because I wanted to think for myself, independent thinking, well... That was a big no-no, so nobody cared. And then it was in a part of the state that Republicans generally, quite frankly, don't care about. Fast forward two years, Jim Lyons has engaged in this same behavior with other people. And I'm of the belief, and I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to pivot to some other topics, although I've, I've talked about this a little bit longer than I wanted to, but... That's that's okay because it's there, there's so much to say. There really is. And there's so much that really needs to be said. But I'm a firmer believer that people do what they can get away with. And I think that if people would have stood up and said something when Jim Lyons and the Massachusetts and his allies, the Massachusetts Republican Party, when my campaign was being sabotaged, by the leadership's intervention in that 7th Congressional District race, if people had spoken up, things might be a little bit different now. I'm going to continue talking about the party, though, um, <laughs> of, you know, for lack of a better word, because we just, it, it just, we need... It's not even changed. We're, we're so far beyond that. We need, we need to be reborn. And not only do Republicans deserve that, but others do as well. People deserve to have a choice, and I'll never get tired of stressing that. So let me switch um, another topic, as I said, that I often talk about. Uh, anti-Semitism. And I I talked a little bit about uh, anti-Semitism in regard to 
you know, candidates now, Republican candidates making comments that are completely unacceptable, uh, that are anti-Semitic, that I've been on the receiving end of. And, you know, as I said, compare that with a candidate like Jeffrey Perry, who was down on the Cape and ran for Congress, and he had a position paper on Israel. It's it's just, it's 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 sad. It's it's mind-boggling, mind-blowing. It's 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 all of those things. But I want to share. I want to share something that I I saw that I thought was particularly profound. Um. It was uh, something from uh, Avi Meyer. Let me see if I can find it. I just had it. And uh, sometimes my phone, sometimes my phone plays nice and sometimes it doesn't play nice. (laughs) Um, Let's see. I don't think I can find it. Um, I just had it. Um, What I'll what I'll say is that he he essentially said that. That anti-Semitism is not, it's not a a problem, it's not an issue, it's a crisis. And that's true. It's very much true. Uh, It's it's undeniable. It can no longer be ignored. And there have been um, a string of very scary incidents and it's just you know it's it's well how much more should we let happen allow to happen before we say okay enough is enough and so he made that first point but then he said look not only is anti-semitism a crisis but it is also a problem unto it's a problem it's also a crisis unto itself and it deserves to be addressed independently of other crises and i completely agree with that because quite often more often than not, what takes place is that we hear, well, anti-Semitism is unacceptable and we must fight against it and we must fight against racism and homophobia and Islamophobia. You know what? I agree. All forms of bigotry must be taken seriously. They must be confronted. They must be combated. But don't, don't keep on lumping anti-Semitism in with other forms of bigotry. It's not right. And just for the record, if I'm talking about racism, about, you know, toward any particular group of people, I'm not going to lump it in with another type of hatred. If I'm talking about homophobia, I'm not going to lump it in with another type of hatred. 
We need to stop, particularly when you have the incidents, anti-Semitism, uh, the anti-Semitic incidents, them multiplying very rapidly and very much in alarming fashion. We need to stop minimizing it. And that's exactly what we do when we lump it in with other forms of bigotry. And I actually, I just, I just found the quote. Yay, me. <laughs> and thank you for my phone for cooperating. <laughs> so uh, here it is. He, he said this today. So Avi Meyer, and you can find him at um, his first and last name, A-V-I-M-A-Y-E-R. And he uh, tweeted, anti-Semitism isn't a problem. It's a, it is a crisis. It has its own unique characteristics, and it deserves to be combated on its own without being lumped together with every other form of hate and bigotry. Stop hashtag all lives matter, mattering us. And I just, for me, that, that tweet was everything. Because that's what happens. And it's got to stop. It's got to stop. The things that are happening to Jews, the outbursts that we're hearing, the types of attacks, they're unique to the Jewish people. And they're unique to the discrimination, the persecution that we have suffered through the ages. When you lump them, the hatreds all together, you're doing a disservice, actually, ultimately, to all the victims. Here's another way to look at it. What if you went through an incident, and it was, it was tough. It was a tough incident, or you were in a tough situation. And so someone said, you know what? I know just how you feel. No. That person would not know. That person maybe wants to put himself or herself in your shoes. And maybe that person could. And maybe that person, to a considerable extent, could understand or at least empathize as to what you're going through. But it's not right or it wouldn't be right for that person to say, you know what, I know just how you feel. So if you have any takeaway from this show, from this segment of the show, and I'll talk about it in, you know, greater detail for a longer length of time in other shows, but anti-Semitism is very much its own type of bigotry. Please don't diminish it. Please don't water it down. You want to fight anti-Semitism? Talk about anti-Semitism and just anti-Semitism. Now, in the last few minutes of the show, 
I want to give a big shout out to independent thinking. Now, independent thinking, while I didn't reference it directly, really, that's been a big problem, not just with the Massachusetts Republican Party, but also the Democratic Party and just in politics in general. Independent thinking is not rewarded, period, today, right? It's not. It's just not. And I would say that when you're talking about the political arena, the value that is attached to independent thinking and the ability to think critically, it's just further diminished. But it's so important. It's so important. You know, I've been thinking a lot about what Charlie Baker has been saying recently and He likes the phrase collaborative friction. And so it's this idea why we need two parties, two political parties, because you need, and I use the term push and pull. So I, I agree with Charlie Baker in this, but I would say that for all Charlie Baker's talk about collaborative friction, I'm still missing him and others who agree with him. I'm missing them applying this idea, which is a fundamental one. And again, I fully agree with it to a group itself. It's a concept that doesn't only beg to be present among different groups. We can't have, when the Republican Party in Massachusetts is is finally reborn, it it cannot come back as a monolithic group. That collaborative friction, it's got to be present within the Republican Party as well. Any group, really. It's amazing all the things that we're not alarmed by, we're not afraid of, that we should be afraid of. But when it comes to critical thinking, independent thinking, oh my gosh, well, we can't have that. I'm going to finish on that note. uh, And I'm going to pick up with this next week. Um, But until then, uh, take care. As always, thank you so much for listening to me, Rachel Meiselman on Bostonian Rap. And uh, I very much look forward to hanging out with you next week. Bye-bye for now. The preceding commentary does not reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to the Boston Neighborhood Network at 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Mass., 02119, attention WBCALP 102.9 FM. If you would like to arrange a time for your own commentary, call WBCA at 617-708-3241 or email us at radio at bnntv.org.